Father, as we look to the Psalms, help us get encouragement. Help us find joy. That's us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, why don't you ask Susan? George is Susan? Yeah. Yeah, why not Susan? We should be friends with Susan. Of course! Susan! Oh, okay. I'll see you guys. That's going to be trouble. <laughs> why? Jerry, don't you see this world here? This is George's sanctuary. If Susan comes into contact with this world, his worlds collide. You know what happens then? Well, that was really a stupid thing. You know what's going to happen now? Worlds collide. Well, yeah! <laughs> because this world is your sanctuary, and if that world comes in contact... Yes, it blows up! So if you know that, what did you tell Elaine for? I didn't know. Kramer told me about the worlds. You couldn't figure out the world's theory for yourself? It's just common sense. Anybody knows you got to keep your worlds apart. This is a show called Seinfeld. You may or may not find any of the 172 episodes of the show to your liking. One reason people readily connected to this show, I think, is, was even if you didn't necessarily love it, or even like it, when people, when people connected to it, is because it used observational humor. Uh, it called out conventions and realities that were always there, but nobody really ever talked about. And that's certainly true here. It was like anthropology for the rest of us. And like us, George Costanza had more than one world. A domestic world, a social world, a work world. His reality was one that we tend to live out. And that is we don't mix worlds because what works in one world doesn't necessarily work in another world, right? The attitudes, the behavior that works maybe at home doesn't work at work. That works in the social world doesn't necessarily work at church. The social world was George's sanctuary. He gets through the domestic world where he's, or sorry, where he's usually romantic. He gets through the work world where he's usually uncomfortable and not very productive, to get to his social world, which is, as it's described there in this clip, his sanctuary. For the Christian, there is and there isn't this divide between worlds. I want to talk about that for a minute. Worlds collide because God redeems everything through Christ. There's a unity to our different worlds, if you will, because God redeems everything through Christ. Colossians 1.20 says this, God reconciled to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So redemption touches everything, not just church buildings, church radio stations, and Chick-fil-A. All right? It touches all aspects of life, either now or in the final redemption to come when Christ returns. It will culminate in God coming to earth to live. According to Revelation 21, heaven will come down to earth. These worlds will collide. There will be a unity between them. Not a separation. Of course, we know very simply now that you who trust Jesus are a temple in which God dwells. So every situation in which you put yourself, whatever world you put yourself in, you put God in as well. You can't just separate them. Because you carry around in you the Holy Spirit which is both, on the one hand, comforting and also sometimes very, very convicting. 
But worlds also seem divided, even as Christians, because we experience this, this kind of difference, don't we, in each world. That's, that's the reality we experience, right? That we act a little different. Our attitude's a little different. Our enjoyment of different worlds is different based on which world we're inhabiting. Jesus himself says we should feel this difference. He prayed to his Father in John 17 to leave us in the world, but not allow us to become of the world. So our faith is both world-affirming and world-denying. Right? On the one hand, this world is good. We want to bring God in every aspect of it, but it's also world-denying. It recognizes that there is sin and there is corruption in the world and there needs to be a difference. And so we find it hard to bring God into our different worlds, don't we? To talk about Him. To think on Him. To make decisions for Him. And we find it hard to keep other worlds out of trying to focus on God. Like our, our world just keeps coming in. Whether it's our appointments beeping on our phone, a text that comes through, or just every mundane distraction that we think of. There's a solution. There, there's help for us. Open, if you would, to Psalm 84. That's going to be on page 420. If you want to use one of the Bibles we have provided for you in these chair pockets. Psalm 84. Psalm 84 acknowledges this, this reality of different worlds we inhabit, but also gives us the resources to engage with Him and enjoy God in both worlds. Not only does Psalm 84 bring us to the highest heights of beauty, that's what I've always thought of, it's how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. It brings us to the highest heights of beauty, but it also gives us a backpack to take that beauty down with us back to reality. Back down the mountain to the other worlds we inhabit. Let's read then together Psalm 84. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. That is the mountain where God's house is. As they go through the valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in You. This is God's Word. What we see here first is this psalm acknowledges, it's acknowledging two worlds, isn't it? Throughout the psalm, we see this. 
the two worlds as it defines it are the presence of God and everywhere else. Very simply, you're either in God's presence, directly focused, deliberately praising Him, or you're everywhere else. One is better than the other, according to the psalm. And it assigns a ratio to just how good it is. Our psalmists assign an exaggerated but not unrealistic ratio of a thousand to one. Right? A day in your courts, one day, is better than a thousand elsewhere. So for every focused, deliberate moment of attention towards God, it's realistic there are about a thousand moments elsewhere. A thousand moments thinking on other things. In verse 3, the psalmists give us proof of this. Sparrows and swallows flying in and out of the presence of God. In and out of the psalmist's attention. Now there are all manner of interpretations of this. Some commentators will say, look, this is the, the, the nest that the swallows are making. It symbolizes the nest of families and how children are to be brought up in the temple and in the church. I think all of that is probably hogwash. The best interpretation is the one that follows this thousand to one ratio. The psalmist is experiencing prayer ADD. Just prayer attention deficit disorder. He is, he is praying to God. He is talking to God. He's writing it down. And he looks up at the altars. And what does he see? Oh, nests. That's interesting. Swallows up there. Sparrows. And what's so interesting about sparrows and swallows in particular is that sparrows were the most common bird. Not considered noting. Boys would sometimes catch swallows. Hebrew boys would catch swallows, catch two of them, can be sold for one small copper penny. Swallows were the most restless. They would swing in and out of one's view. They were notoriously, took notoriously long in making nests because they were having so much fun in the air. And who can blame them? If you and I could fly, it would be a ton of fun. The nest would just be at the end. We make that at the end of the day. But all this is true, isn't it? To attempted intimacy with God. We can't keep even the most mundane tokens of the surrounding world out. They, they fly in and out of our thoughts when we try to pray to God and spend time with Him. The psalmist, consciously or unconsciously, gives us a very helpful solution for this, by the way, kind of as a side note in the sermon. He prays his distractions. Or they pray their distractions because it's a group of psalmists here. Specifically, they give thanks for them. They connect how good God is to the distractions they see. Look, you even provide a home for the birds. Which is a great little tip, by the way, in prayer. When, when, when thoughts come in and out, pray those thoughts. There's probably a reason God has brought them to mind. Pray them until they leave. By the way, this will happen. At some point, there will be birds. I, I just know, at some point, a ching-ching is going to get into this building. Alright? This is going to happen. It may form a nest during the sermon. Uh, you know, and you may notice it. And some of, you, some of you ladies will be like, I wish I wore my head covering. You would get, you would get that joke if you read your Bible. Um, but, and we're going to turn to Psalm 84. We're going to say, thank you, Lord. Even the off-destructive birds find a home in your sanctuary. Just as off-destructive people find a home in your presence as well. That is a good thing. But nothing reminds us of the difference of these worlds we inhabit, like our job. The responsibility that occupies us from morning to evening. Whatever that is for you. The sons of Korah also knew about this. That's the Psalms' authors. The sons of Korah. Their job was to take care of the ark, the lampstand, the altars, all the little instruments that went with it. You can imagine like 
dentist equipment. That sort of thing. Taking care of them, making sure they're polished, they're ready to go. And, and I mean, doing so with special coverings when these things need to be transported. So back before there was a temple, there was only a tabernacle. You took that everywhere, you pitched the tent, and they had to wrap everything up in these special little coverings. You couldn't touch it with your hands unless you were a priest. As one commentator put it, the sons of Korah, they were Israel's janitors. Right? Often unappreciated. Often finding their job tedious, unlike praise unto the Lord as they did it. And they felt this. In fact, up their family tree a little ways, there was a history of rabble-rousing. In number 16, they complain, why do Moses and Aaron get to be priests and not us? Some bad things happen. The earth opens, swallows a few people. Don't need to get into that. All right, but they complain about their job. And who among us hasn't before felt A, unappreciated, and B, like they couldn't do their boss's job better than they do it? I should be doing that. So did the sons of Korah. And yet, verse 4 Blessed are those who dwell in your house, singing your praise. Yet, Verse 10, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. You see that? Yet, these singing janitors found a way to overcome unappreciation, the tedium of their job, and discontent with all of it. While they don't share exactly how they do this sort of a narrative story form with a, a funny story and a conclusive ending, Their psalm of praise shares how they sort of overcome this to find contentment, to find joy. And I think it's because they allowed their worlds to collide. And that's kind of the big thesis this morning of this message. Maximum enjoyment of God occurs when worlds collide. When joy derived and focused time in God's presence spills over and finds completion in the thousand moments elsewhere. It recycles through you. Spending time, even just that moment, that 10 minutes in the morning, that hour and a quarter with God's people on Sundays, trekking out and making that pilgrimage to a community group, just just that moment starts to spill over into the thousand moments elsewhere when we can't keep attention well, when our focus has to be in other places. These sons of Korah derive joy from just one day in your courts. Notice verse 2. Every part of oneself is in unison towards the passion and the praise of God. Look at that with me if you would. My soul longs. He has faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart. My flesh. They all sing for joy to the living God. Now I can't guarantee that if you apply your soul, your heart, and your physical body the praise of God that passion will automatically well up in you like a bubbling pool. Can't guarantee that. But might I suggest you try? <laughs> I think so often we, I know I do, I tend to overlook the examples given in God's Word without attempting to apply them. Though they're often the very means God uses to usher in His all-satisfying presence. And we see this here. The psalmist applies his soul his heart, his physical body. So try with me if you would. First, apply your soul to thinking about an eternity with God. To meditating on eternity with your greatest lover and friend. 
The soul, by the way, throughout Scripture, is the eternal part of a person. It's the part of you that recognizes there must be something beyond this. As a human being, there must be something more. There's the part of you that, that rightly wonders, why do iguanas, turtles, and land crabs all have natural homes prepared for them, but mankind is the only creature that has to build his. It has to, to build his with an iguana's tree, right? On top of a land crab's home. And hopefully, if we have enough wealth, next to a turtle's nest. Think about that for a minute. We're the only being created who doesn't just automatically goes to their home. We have to build one, don't we? Why? Because God has created us for another world. Meditate on some of the grand descriptions in God's Word of an eternity with God. We can't go through them all. Here are a few just to suggest throw them up on the screen. Hebrews 12, 22-24. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-52 about this new body we're going to receive. Revelation 21, 1-4. The new Jerusalem coming from the heavens and being here on earth where there will be no more tears but only joy. Apply your heart to decisions for God. The Hebrew understanding of the heart, when you hear this heart that faints for God, the heart was the control center of a human being. It was the seat of thoughts, emotions, and the will. In other words, it was the part of you that led up to making a decision and decisions. What about your decisions for God? You know, most of your friends secretly wonder why the heck they dedicate this time every Sunday to sing for joy to the living God. Why do they do that? While I'm, you know, at work, getting ahead, making more money, doing better for myself, or while I'm getting a sun can. And you know what? God bless them and their SPF 15. We, 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 want, we want to share this living God with them, right? But I want to assure you, your time is worth it. So what are some decisions you can Make simply to love God back. Not for other ulterior motives or to be seen, but simply to love God. What, what is your alabaster jar? Remember the woman from Mark 14 and Bethany who comes in not to be seen, not to get points with God, but simply to love Him. She breaks that jar of perfume of great worth to her. Probably her, saving, her whole savings account. And pours it over Jesus to anoint Him for burial. What is your alabaster jar? A decision you can make today to love God back only just to love Him. Thirdly, apply your body to sing for joy. Get your body away from distractions and sing every day. Just even this morning we were praying and there's a brother, I won't mention his name, he started praying. He started singing in our prayer. That hasn't happened to me in years. But not a surprise since I'm preaching on it. God does those sorts of things. Singing is the best way to focus all your attention, energies, cravings, and a passionate praise. You know, I'm very unlikely to preach away your anxieties this morning. Whatever worries you brought this morning, I'm very unlikely to preach them away. But you know what? It's very likely that you can sing them away. In a moment, we're going we're to sing songs of praise to God and watch your perspective change and your worries and your anxieties and that which grips you melt away. You know, I spent the last week or so trying to do this. I'm really trying to practice what I preach, guys. I really do. So I tried to daily apply my soul and my heart and my body to the praise of God. You know what? God really used it. And you might say, Ryan, that probably was very easy for you. You were on holiday. Seemed like a long time. We wondered if you even worked for the church anymore, frankly. You may have thought it was easy. But I want you to lean in closely. I want to tell you a little secret. 
for the last week, I shared a home with 38 other people. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. 38 other people. Yeah, good question. Uh, I don't know, but mine was knocked on a lot, Ruth. I say that. I'm like, what's taking so long? There's a lot of that going on. So I woke up early. You might say fled early to, to, a, to, a, to a remote bench. And I meditated on scriptures that pictured eternity with God, like the kind I gave you. I actually used those scriptures. The Spirit led me to write down in my journal one decision each day to love God back. And finally, I sang, also remotely, for others' sake. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, it's an arid place, right? They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. We read this and we start to see how getting joy from one moment in your courts can extenuate to a thousand elsewhere. As God fills people, waters people, they're like sprinklers watering others around them. And this happened, by the way, in that house with 38 other people. You know, there's a lot of challenges, like Ruth mentioned one of them. It requires extreme patience. But, but it wasn't me, it was God who gave me that patience, who filled me up so that I could be a little bit of a blessing to others. See, the psalmists here connect intimacy with God to other pilgrims in need. What's happening here in verses 5-7 through seven, it's the psalmists who, who live at God's house turn their attention to those who are making a pilgrimage to it. Who have come to apply their heart, their soul, their very body to praise God. He's turning, they're turning their attention to them as they walk to and fro arid lands. They are springs to one another. Like I said, sprinklers watering one another, refreshing one another. And even for the one who comes alone, They receive early rain from above. Pools of grace that require no human effort. See that there? Those of you with families know the experience of traveling to and fro on Sundays to apply your heart, your soul, your body to the praise of God. And when it's real and when it's genuine, man, you get those moments where your kids refresh you with little gospel nuggets from the children's ministry. And every once in a while, you can connect that with a story or a gospel theme you heard in, in the big church. And you had this moment of leaving this place encouraging and and sort of watering one another, refreshing one another. And that's beautiful. Those of you who are going to go today, after this service, to a brunch together, to enjoy some fellowship with each other. You're going to have an opportunity to to encourage one another, to walk, coming from church, singing and learning from God's Word, you have an opportunity to encourage each other, water each other with God's Word. I'm so mindful here of what Jesus says in John chapter 7, 37-38. It's such a wonderful Scripture. Jesus says, "Whoever, if anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In other words, you come to Jesus, you get refreshed, and in doing so, out of your heart will flow outward into those thousand moments elsewhere, rivers of living water, where you can experience joy and goodness. Then there's this little nugget about rain from above instead of sprinklers below. 
because there's some of you who come alone and you're going to leave alone this morning. There are pools of grace and mercy every Sunday for you too, simply from the living God. You might not say more than high, but just by coming to God's house, there are these pools that you weren't expecting. Goodness given to you. There are all these connections between the one day and the thousand moments elsewhere. Like you can connect the promises of God to their fulfillment in life. You can connect the character of God to to seasonal circumstances. But I want to consider just one more this morning. You can connect from this psalm every good thing. You can connect from being with God's people in His house every good thing to reality. Look with me in verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. You know, we wouldn't notice every good thing, would we? Unless you bring your other world into time with God. So we don't always notice something good in those other worlds until we bring them before the sun. Right? C.S. Lewis used to say that I know everything by the sun. Everything else I can recognize through the light of God shed into my life. We don't recognize things as good until we bring them before God. What appears good when we're in that world, what appears good, things like wealth, often do us the greatest harm, don't they? And things that appear bad often turn out to be the greatest blessing. We know that supremely through the cross of Christ, which was the supreme bad, the supreme evil. But God wrought for us the greatest good. Focused time in His presence kind of recalibrates us to see the goodness of God, every good thing. I once heard a story of a wealthy father who took his son on a trip to the country to show his son the benefits of hard work, education, and savings by viewing how poor people live. So they spent a couple days and nights on a farm with a family that would be considered poor, quote-unquote. Poor family. On their return from the trip, the father asked the son, what did you think? How, how was the trip? What did you learn? First he says, oh, well, it was great, Dad. Father asked, well, did you see how poor people have to live? He says, oh, yeah. So what, what did you learn from observing that life? The son answered, I saw that we have one dog, and they have four. We have a pool that reaches to the middle of our garden. They have a creek that goes on forever. We have fancy lights around our flowers in our garden while they have stars at night. Our our patio reaches to the next lot. They have the whole horizon. We have this small piece of land to live on. They have fields that go beyond sight. We We buy our food. They grow theirs. We have walls around our property to protect us, but they have friends to protect them. With this, the boy's father was just speechless as his plan had backfired. And then his son added something else which just floored him. Thanks, Dad, for showing me how poor we are. Only, guys, in his presence can you perceive his favor in what others call poor. Can you you see and perceive his honor And what your other world pities, only in His presence can we derive maximum joy for all the other broken worlds. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank You 
We just want to start by thanking you that we can enter your presence with longing and joy, fainting for your courts to be near you because of your anointed one, King Jesus. Because of the work Jesus did for us to die in our place, to rip open the divide that separated us, that we might forever be able to be in your presence. And one day, it won't just seem like one day. The thousand elsewhere will feel like the eternity with you. So help us travel every week with anticipation as pilgrims weekly to your house, to fellowship, to being with others. Oh, Lord, that our hearts might be highways to Zion, as your Scripture says. That other pilgrims might find wide spaces just by being around us. We can't fake this, so please help us apply our hearts, our souls, and our very bodies to daily and passionate praise. That's us all in Jesus' name. Amen.